If you will, take your Bible and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're just going to read several verses here and then seek to put those into the context of what we have been studying and uh, hopefully give a, a real encouragement to all of us today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is or these things are the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, we readily admit that sometimes we encounter circumstances that leave us reeling. We look at our circumstances before we gaze at you, and we feel overwhelmed with worry, with doubt, with concern. And yet, Father, these three little commands that the Apostle Paul gives not only to a church that was facing unusual times, we might say, in their own day, will speak to us today. We believe. So, Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would make clear everything that we say, every verse, every illustration, that you would fit it together and that we would become a people that when the world thinks of Heritage Baptist Church, they think of a church that rejoices in the midst of trials and sorrow. They think of a church that prays without ceasing, for everything, the large and the small. And they think of a church that is a grateful church, giving thanks in every circumstance to you, O God, through Jesus Christ. This is your will for us. And so we add to that, Lord, a prayer on this day. During this month, we know that other churches are joining together there are many blights upon our land, specifically throughout the world, we know that, but in our land and probably one of the biggest blights on our land that is often pushed under the carpet by our culture is the incredible sin of abortion. Father, I cry out to you on the infants that would be infants were their life not taken. We pray for those who work in ministries that help people understand the significance and the sanctity of human life, and we pray that at least, at least we might pray and join other ministries in that prayer and speak whenever we can, whenever appropriate. And Father, we will give you the praise for what you're doing. There, there are bad laws, Lord, that we need to pray against and ask you to change them. And Father, in all of these things, again, we will rejoice in you, we will pray always, and we will give thanks in all circumstances. Now, teach us, we pray, in, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sometimes ministry can be messy. We talked about ministry last week. And sometimes it can be messy. It reminds me of the preacher who was driving to church one Sunday morning, early on a Sunday morning, very few cars were on the road, and he noticed something up in the road, and as he got closer, he realized to his horror, it was an animal. It was a skunk that had been foraging in some trash and got its head stuck in a tin can trying to get the last morsel of it. And the preacher applied his brakes, put the car into park, and wondered what he should do. He really had compassion on that skunk. He thought, I I really, my, my heart goes out to that skunk. I want to do more than just hand him a tract. 
I, I would really like to help that skunk. But then he started thinking, you know, that skunk might not perceive that I have his best interests in heart. That skunk might be afraid of what I'm doing and think I'm there to hurt him rather than to help him, and it could turn out being a real messy situation for the both of us. So we prayed a prayer for the skunk and then drove on to church. <laughs> Why am I talking to you about a skunk and a preacher and ministry? Fellow believers need help. We saw that last week. There are believers that are wayward. There are believers that are worried. There are other believers that we need to be patient with because they are weak. They're, in a sense, stuck. So we need to be involved in ministry. But sometimes that ministry can be messy. Sometimes people that we try to help may misconstrue our efforts to help them. They may think we're trying to hurt them. And it really can get messy. There was someone who called the kind of people who need help, really need help, and it can get messy. They called them EGR kind of Christians. Do you know what an EGR Christian is? I know some of you do. Extra grace required. Now, if you can sit there and hear me say that, extra grace required Christians, and you can't think of anybody in your life, then it could be that you are one. So last week we looked at this. At one point, of time or another, every Christian is going to need help. Every follower of Christ is going to need help. And each of us, all of us in this room, we need to try to help them. In other words, we need to try to help them change. Now, I said something last week, and I was wondering if someone, someone might have heard that statement, if you were really listening, and I might get some pushback. I haven't heard it, but I wondered. I said this. that the favorite pastime or indoor sport of many Christians is trying to change somebody. And several people laughed at that. But folks, isn't that what we are involved in? Isn't that what we want physically for our children? Sometimes we say the weirdest things when our children are small and this is when they're behaving and they're doing everything that's right. And I've heard moms say it, not so much dads, but I've heard moms say it and even up into the teen years, they, they look at their child and they say, stop growing. You ever say that? Stop growing. Sometimes it's with a grandchild. Stop growing. But do you realize the importance of that statement? Don't you want your children to grow? Children, don't you want to change and don't you want to grow? I know you do, because if I were to ask any seven-year-old in here, how old are you, and they're just a, even a week into their seventh year, what are they going to tell me? I'm seven and a half. And so intuitively, they know that they need to change. They need to grow. And, and it is one of those sayings that when you test it out, it really is not true. One of the things that I hear couples say, well, we're going to get married, and, and yet I, one of the things I'm never going to try to do is change him. Well, my goodness, then you don't really love him. Because if you don't want your spouse or your children to change and to grow and to be conformed more into the image of Christ, this is all through Scripture. We talked last week about the gifts, gifted people given to the church so they can equip the church for the work of the ministry. And the, the, the outcropping of that is that we attain to the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to what? Mature manhood, the measure of the, the stature is the fullness of Christ. We see it again. So that we won't be any longer children. Why? Because children tend to be tossed about by every whim of doctrine. And so spiritually speaking, we need to grow up into Him 
who is the head, even Christ. And that requires change. That's what we've been talking about the entire book of 1 Thessalonians. If you go back to the very beginning, isn't that what we talked about? And then as we have walked our way through this book, we saw in chapter 1, there was a huge, a radical change. They turned from serving idols to serving the living and the true God. And, and they weren't through changing. They changed from walking from God to walking with God, from pleasing themselves to pleasing God, from immorality to purity, from hopelessness in death. My goodness, we need that now, to having a hope that is Christ-based, from darkness to light, from asleep to awake, and I could go on and on, from wrath to salvation. Yeah, I would say God wants to change us, and He wants the church to grow. In fact, when we come to this, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks, what are we going to culminate this entire study with? The fact of our sanctification, our growth in Christ. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely. So here's what we've said, and I want you to grab on to this, okay? You, you've got to get this. This is not just an individual thing. We tend to individualize and personalize so much of our Christian walk, and we should. We should be doing the, the disciplines that will help us grow personally. But we've got to see that what Paul has been talking about the last couple of weeks is that we come alongside people. We have a horizontal ministry, and that is for every person in this room. For three weeks now, this will be the third week, I've tried to say to you that there is such a common misperception that it's the paid ministers, the elders uh, who are paid and volunteer. It's the leaders of the church who they are supposed to do the work of the ministry. And we have seen that it is everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. But as I shared a minute ago, ministry can be messy. And so what do you do? And I, I, I would believe that everyone who has tried to minister has experienced this. You minister, and you share, and you share, and I, it, may, it, it may be a husband or a wife relationship. It may be a parent-child or a grandparent-grandchild relationship. It could be a discipling relationship, but you work, and you work, and you feed into that person's life, and, and, and you come to a place where many times you feel absolutely depleted. And then sometimes defeat it. And that's why at the end of last week, the, the, the passage, be patient with them all. Don't repay evil for evil to anyone. You might even be hurt by the very people that you're trying to help. So th th this is so wonderful that Paul has done this. If you, in your horizontal ministry, have been worn smooth. Could I put this in here as a parenthesis? And if you've never experienced that, you're not ministering. You're going to run up with skunks with their heads in the can. And maybe you're the person with your head caught in the can. But see, when, when you've got to minister horizontal, in church we've got to do this especially in these days, and you're worn out. You don't have anything more to give. And again, I've told you about the relationships that that could involve. Here's what Paul says. When you, when you feel like you can't even go this way any longer, go vertical. And that's the three commands that we've got today. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing in all circumstances. Give thanks. Now, all three of these are commands. You can write that down or you can just remember it. They're commands. They're not suggestions. He ends it with this, which refers to all three of these things, that in all circumstances, pray without ceasing, rejoice always, 
This is God's will. Or I read it a few moments ago, these things all are God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here again, let me remind you, this is plural. All three commands are plural. He's saying you all do this, each and every. And so let's see if we can glean some things so that you can be sustained in ministry and in life. You thought these were just commands that had to do with your coming to church. This is where the rubber meets the road every day as you live life in your family. It's your workplace. Wherever you go out and, and, and you bump into people. And I would say especially at church. Let's look at the first one, verse 16. Rejoice always. Now this word means it's not just rejoice. It's not casual. This is, it means re, rejoice exceedingly. That's why I tried to raise my voice. Rejoice! In a lot of things. Right? What does it say? Rejoice always. Another word for this is delight. How many of you know the motto of Heritage Baptist Church? We're developing people who delight in God and who declare His glory from our neighborhoods to the nations, we'll never declare what we don't delight in. Someone said that one time, and he was right. So the key thing is delighting, rejoicing. Now, let me ask you this. Let's be, come, come on, let's be realistic. Is this even possible? There are a lot of people who would hear this today, and I'm not going to say what kind of church or whatever situation they are in, and they would say, Pastor, you're absolutely being unrealistic to say that I have to rejoice in all things. Even in the midst of deep sorrow. So, let me try to clarify. I, I believe this is what Paul has in mind. There are some things that you are never to rejoice in. What would those be? Evil. You don't rejoice in the evil. It's, you don't rejoice in your own sin. You rejoice in the Lord in the midst of it. I think of when Paul said to the Romans, shall we continue in sin that grace might abound? That's kind of a rejoicing in your own sinfulness. But Paul reminds us of this, that love, which is the cardinal virtue that just takes in all of the other virtues of a Christian, does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. God gets into the act. Do you think he rejoices in the death of the wicked? He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his evil way and live. So, we find the caveat that we do not rejoice in wickedness, but what do we rejoice in? We rejoice in the midst of sin and wickedness in the Lord. Not only does he say it, he says it again for emphasis. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, get a picture of the context, and we're going to come back to, to what was happening in Philippi at an earlier time, around the time of the founding of the, the church at Thessalonica. But, but if you, you get a picture, see, sometimes we isolate this, and, and we don't remember that it was written in a particular setting. Paul was in a Roman prison, lost his rights, lost his freedom. He was writing to a church, and he talked throughout the letter to the uh, Philippian church of joy, and yet they had problems. There were church members who were bickering at each other, and he addresses that in just a couple of verses beyond that. There were church members who were anxious and so he addresses that in what follows. But the key thing that we need to see is right here, and this is the context of the command, that you and I, 
if we're going to have the ability to minister to one another, we need to learn how to rejoice in the Lord always. Let's give a definition to this, and I chose this. It's a rather wordy one in your worship guide by John MacArthur because it says so much. I, ju I just don't have time to, to tell you all of the differences here, but he helps us to distinguish between joy and happiness. Okay? We're just going to say some things about that. But joy is not necessarily related to happiness. You can be extremely unhappy in circumstances and still be full of joy. So he says this, Christian joy, do you see it right here? Christian joy, I love this, is not a giddy, superficial happiness that can be devastated by illness, economic difficulties, broken relationships, or the countless other vicissitudes and disappointments of life. Instead, true Christian joy flows from the deep, now watch this, unshakable confidence that God is eternally in control of every aspect of life for the good of His beloved children, a confidence rooted in the knowledge of His Word. God's character, the saving work of Christ, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, divine providence, spiritual blessings, the promise of future glory, answered prayer, and Christian fellowship all cause the believer to rejoice. Now, in a minute, we're going to, to draw a distinction. We're going to be looking at the difference between rejoicing and giving thanks. And there is a little bit of a difference, but he, here is the basic difference, okay? And for those of you who have studied this and you know it, by the way, I'm just going to have to confess that as I was studying this week, I found that as I evaluated myself that I have a lot of work to do to really become a rejoicing Christian. My guess is Probably you do too. And the whole, the whole theme of this sermon is to what? Change. For you and for me, for all of us to become, first of all, rejoicing Christians. Now, rejoicing is this, and it, we're differentiated between thanksgiving. Rejoicing is when I learn to rejoice in God for who He is, period. Now, we'll come to thanksgiving. That's when we thank God for what He does. And you see that MacArthur blended those two. So the first thing that I would ask you, follower of Christ, are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you right now responding to God Himself? Yeah, even in the middle of a sermon. Or earlier when we were singing, were you rejoicing to God or were you focusing on something that was or was not making you happy? I said a minute ago it's possible to be struggling with happiness and yet have joy. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians where he gives the outline of all of the things that he was going through. And he puts these two words just right next to each other, sorrowful yet rejoicing. How often does he rejoice in his circumstances, his sorrows? Always. There wasn't one circumstance, and, and I'm not saying that Paul was necessarily glad or happy in those circumstances, but what he does say, that I have learned this incredible reality of being able to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of even deep, deep sorrow. So rejoicing does not negate, here's a word, lament. And that's why I love what, what he says, Christian joy is not a giddy, superficial happiness. And people who try to fake it, 
and they lose a loved one or they, they have something devastating that happens to them and they're just, praise the Lord anyway, and they're, they're just, it's not real, it's not true. That's not Christian joy. And the more we practice worshiping God for who He is, not just what He's done, we give Him thanks for that. Then we can become people who rejoice. By the way, if you're ever going to complain We'll talk about that in just a minute, a little bit more. Let me see if I can get it right. I think this is right. Test me out on this. If you're going to complain, complain to God, never about God. Hmm. The psalmist complained. Some of the, I've got it marked in my Bible about eight. The Psalms are Psalms of complaint, and they're deep and they're real. And I just, I love this. David knew how to complain. He complained to God. He didn't complain about God. He just, he took it, he took it vertical. I've got this situation. I'm ministering to fill in the blank. Lord, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you with that. And then I'm going to rejoice. So look at the, it's like this in every, every one of the Psalms of complaint, it follows this pattern. Oh, how long, oh Lord, will you forget me forever? I don't know that anyone is in here has ever felt like that. David did. How long will you hide your face from me? By the way, had God hidden his face from him? Or let me just ask you in a New Testament sense, does God hide his face from you? No. Sometimes it feels like it. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? He was just pouring out, pouring out his heart in complaint to God. Look around, God, look at the things that are going on, but. And I love it because in every one of these Psalms, there's that word, that conjunction, but. This, this negates Everything that I've said, well, it doesn't negate it necessarily, but it puts it into perspective. I have trusted, watch this, these are the character qualities of God. I rejoice, Lord, I trust in your steadfast love. When I don't see what, I, what would make me happy happening. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I love that. So rejoicing. Do, do you understand what I'm saying in this? I'm trying to say. Rejoicing does not mean that you will never feel sad or depressed. Rejoicing is not, first of all, a matter of emotions or feelings, but relationship and obedience. And then and ultimately, and this could go for Thanksgiving too, rejoicing is an attitude of contentment in God. Contentment in God that transcends circumstances. Now, you know, I, I've preached and I've shared these kinds of things when it is appropriate to share these with individuals. I've had, not a lot, but I've had people say to me, but pastor, you, you don't. You don't understand. You don't know what I've been through. And I will tell a person straight up, you're right. Unless I have been through something like that. You're right. I, I do not understand what you've gone through. But God does. And He still commands you, follower of Christ, to rejoice always. I love the story and don't turn there, Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas took Timothy with them. Not sure what happened to him along the way, but they go to, to Europe. They're called, the Macedonian call, and they start ministering. And one of the places they minister is Philippi. Looks like things are going well. They've had a convert, and they, they had uh, potentially, well, they faced a demon-possessed girl and cast demons out of her. I think she got saved when when they did that, but then the town had a riot. 
Maybe not for the same reasons that there are riots around us, but it was a full-blown riot. And, and the, the authorities got them. They didn't worry about trying. You have no rights with us, although they did later on in the story. They took them and stripped them of their clothes and beat them, it says, with many blows and then threw them into the lowest part of a stinking, foul Roman prison there in Philippi. Can you be unhappy and yet rejoicing? Yeah. Do you remember what it says in Philippians 16? About, about midnight. Here they oh, by the way, their feet were in stocks, which meant probably the only way they could position themselves was laying down on their back that had been beaten on that cold, hard ground. So what are they doing at midnight? Man, first thing we're going to do tomorrow morning, we're going to call our lawyers. We're going to, you other prisoners, we were treated more unfairly than. It says they were singing, praising, and praying. And the, I think the other prisoners liked it. I don't know exactly, say they were singing hymns. I don't know. What were they singing? Rock of Asia? I don't know. But I think they, they liked it. I think the Philippian jailer kind of liked it. I think God kind of liked it. He started tapping his foot to their singing and it caused an earthquake. Well, no, that's not in the Bible, okay? Just made that up. But, but it, it really, it had an impact. And, and so I look at that and I think, Wow, for somebody to be in such horrible circumstances and still be rejoicing in the Lord? People take note. That's going to be, I, I'm going to end with that. People will take note if we're a church that rejoices. Not a perfect church. I don't want us to be a perfect church. I want us to wrangle with things and, and talk about things and, and, and debate about things. And, and, and we'll, we'll mess up. We'll mess up. So I, I really don't want, we can't be anyway, okay? I don't want us to be a perfect church. I just want us to be a church that rejoices, no matter what the circumstances are. By the way, one more thing. I'm smiling, so you know this is a word of pastoral exhortation for all of us. Don't come to church. And if you're visiting our church, you go to another church, you apply that to that church. Don't come to church expecting someone to manufacture something in you that you have not been doing during the week. Frankly, I think a lot of people confuse happiness and preference with, with joy in this. But Please, smiling. Don't expect someone, me, Jonathan, whoever, to manufacture joy when it hasn't been in you. The key is that every day, we, this is a learned response. We learn to rejoice. And really, the only way to do it is intimacy with God. We learn it through being intimate with Him, knowledge of Him, the word, personal worship that you enjoy with him every day. Well, second, he says in verse 17, pray without ceasing, no intermission, no breaks. That, that's not concerning the sermon. That's concerning praying. He says pray without ceasing. It means, and I was talking to someone earlier about it because they started coughing. Have you ever had a coughing fit? It's really disconcerting when you're in church and you start coughing and you have a tickle and you can't quit. Well, that's the, the picture of the word praying without ceasing. It's like coughing over and over and over again. It means persistent to the point of being annoying or intruding. How many of you have or had children who were, I'm not talking about prayer, I'm talking about a, a good picture of it. They were so persistent 
in maybe wanting something or, or just being around you that it was annoying. Hmm, I heard somebody go. We had one. I'm not saying which one. But she's not here. <laughs> and she's probably not listening. Great young lady, loves the Lord with all of her heart. She couldn't ask a question. I'm serious. She could not ask a question when she was a little bitty without whining. It wasn't, Mom, I'd like some apple juice. It was with her arms around Jan's leg. I want some apple juice. And she was persistent until she got it. You know, that's almost the picture. Persistent to the point of annoying or intruding. Now, again, does God really want this? Well, yes and no. No, if you interpret praying without ceasing as always being on your knees or always sitting down with your cup of coffee and having your quiet time or with your eyes closed, head bowed. Please don't do that while you're driving. Prayer beads, some people really try to pull that off. Prayer candles, prayer wheels, I could just go on and on. No, it's a heart attitude. It's a bent. It's a God consciousness. Do you know what it means to be online? Do, do you guys know what it means to be online? Okay, you're online with God. And it's a 24-7. You're surrendered to Him. You have this consciousness of Him. It's like breathing. And as long as you're doing that and, and you're, you're, you're basically you're developing a discipline. By the way, they, they go together. Don't ever put one uh, apart from the other. Having a daily quiet time, I think, is absolutely essential. And then praying throughout the day. And basically what you're doing in saying that is saying, God, I need you. I can't live life without you. Jesus is not just your crutch. That's what some people say. No. If somebody says that to me, no, he's my wheelchair. I need him all the time. I can't do life on my own without him. And Jesus told a couple of parables about the friend who had a friend who came to visit. And so he went to another friend and he said, give me some bread. It was at midnight. I mean, now hospitality was huge back then. So this guy couldn't turn his friend away who had come. He came and said, I need three loaves. I think you've got them. Would you please get up and give them to me? The guy said, I'm in bed. My children are around me. They're in bed too. I'm going to have to get up and I might step on them or wake them up or something like that. So no, you're being an annoyance. Go away. He didn't. I need some bread. I need three loaves specifically. Would you get up and give them to me? And it wasn't because, it says it wasn't because the guy was his friend, but because he just pestered him. Same thing with the judge and the widow who came again and again and again. He said, it's not because I fear God. I don't. It's not because I want to do the right thing. She's just wearing me out. And I'm going to give her what she wants. Now, let me just say this. These are, are parables to tell us what to do. They're, they in no way talk about who God is because God is never reluctant. I further believe this about your praying. God is not annoyed. It's not in Him to be just in a bad mood, to wake up on the wrong side of the bed. He's not going to be annoyed. In fact, D.L. Moody said this, some people think God does not like to be troubled with our constant coming and asking. The way to trouble God is not to come at all. And when your heart is open, you're driving along, you ever had this, and, and the Holy Spirit brings somebody to mind? You, well, you might not be aware it's the Holy Spirit, but somebody comes to mind. What do you do? Pray. Have you ever done this? You drive by a certain landmark. You drive by a church. What do you do? Do you think anything? That'd be a great opportunity. It wouldn't cost you anything to pray. You ever walk around in your neighborhood? Have you ever thought about just praying as you're going around? Silently, maybe you're talking with someone, but you can look over here and say, I don't know who lives there, but I, Lord, I want to 
I want to pray for them. And maybe, maybe we could have an opportunity to meet. Maybe you do know them. Prayer walking. Prayer eating. Anybody going to go out to eat today? I, I think I've shared this with you before. I'm not asking for an invitation. Okay. But if you do, try this. Sometimes I forget to do it, but it, it's just unbelievable how often it can open doors. And, and you're sitting there, and, and you've just ordered, and the, the waitress or the, well, what, what's, what's correct? Wait person um, comes up, hi, I'm going to be helping you today. And uh, so they ask the, the order, and, and just, I learned this from a friend, Paul Purifoy. You guys know him. He taught me this years ago. And so it's just easy to say, hey, you know what? A few minutes uh, when you bring our food, we have a custom. We're going to pray over our food. And uh, it, it would really be neat if we could pray for you. Is there anything we can pray for you about? Sometimes they'll say no, but sometimes they'll come back and they'll say thank you. I, I need this. I've got a test today. My grandmother is sick all manner of things, open the door to share the gospel. Last thing, okay, prayer, work on it. It's a both and, you got that? Just, just pray without ceasing. Third thing, oh, this is great. Let's, let's change it around. It, it really says in the Greek, uh, in all circumstances, give thanks. So it emphasizes in all circumstances. And he, Paul in Ephesians restates it like this, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. I talked about complaining a minute ago. I looked up and there are 34, 34 different ministry options that you can be involved in if you have a particular problem. Started with Alcoholics Anonymous. You've, have you heard of that? And then they added some things to it, Al-Anon. And then they added some things. No kidding. Here are some of the things uh, that, that I wrote down. Cocaine Anonymous. Codependent Anonymous. Debtors Anonymous. Food Anonymous. Yeah. Gambling Anonymous. Well, I think sometimes maybe, I was thinking about this in the church, maybe we ought to have a special meeting for Grumblers Anonymous. <laughs> Go through the 12 steps. Hi, my name is Marty, and I grumble. And I don't like what you're wearing, and I, you know... My mother used to say this. I never knew it was really Helen Keller. I, I don't, she didn't even graduate from high school. I, didn't, I don't know if she knew it was Helen Keller, but she used to tell me when I was complaining as a boy, she would say, Marty, I cried because I had no shoes until I saw the man who had no feet. So quit your grumbling and be thankful for what you have. Children, children, look at me for a minute. Look at me. Children, please. Listen, I want you to really listen. Of all of the things that your parents get bugged about that you do or don't do, guess probably what is at the top of the list. Ingratitude. And it's displeasing to God too. It's serious. Complaining and grumbling means that I am not content. Remember, rejoicing is something for who He is. Giving thanks is for what He has done. Many times complaining and grumbling, not like the psalmist, but it reveals discontent, not just with the circumstances, but with God. Now, here, here's something that you probably, just if you're thinking about this, you're thinking about worshiping and coming in here and worshiping and then worshiping throughout the week. You cannot worship and delight in God if you are ungrateful. It, it, it will 
If you come in here and you're ungrateful for something, and it, you may not even be aware, that's why a good prayer ought to be, oh, Lord, help me to see areas where I'm not grateful to you. Jeremiah Bureau, Burroughs was a Puritan, and, and he, he, he really hit it on this. Worship is not only doing what pleases God, but also being pleased with what God does. I, I'm just, I'm just going to posit something for you, okay, that I believe is true. Two verses that talk about this. First, 2 Timothy 3. Uh, we've looked at this verse before. In the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Stop there. Do you believe that we're in days of difficulty? Throughout the world. I mean, spread it out. It's not just here in our country. It's throughout the world, and we're just catching up, really, to what's been happening in a, a lot of the world. So in the last days, and then he gives this litany of sins. What's in the middle? What's right after disobedient to parents? Why do you think children delight in being disobedient to parents, those who do? It's because they've never learned how to be grateful to their parents. Look what follows it, unholiness. Isn't it amazing? Now, let me go one step further. I don't know if you ever thought of not being grateful as one of the cardinal sins, but let me just say this. Paul says it is the root of all other sins. Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18, through Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Paul weaves together a picture of the wickedness, the fallenness of humans. And he says, here's the root. Here's the root. God has put everything out there. His creation, although fallen, is beautiful. Everything speaks of God. Everything speaks of God. He says, I've given it to you as a general revelation to lead you to hear the word specific revelation so you can be saved. But watch what happens with the majority of mankind, with us before we knew the Lord, although they knew God, not in a saving way, they knew God in terms of His creation, what He has revealed. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks. It's the root of all other sins, and it leads to becoming futile in your thinking and foolish when your hearts are darkened, and it goes hand in hand with pride. Here, here's just a little thing to help. It's, a, it's something that I try to do. Maybe it'll help you. Uh, are, are you going through any, any uh, I ask it as a question, anything that is troubling you right now, anything that just is grabbing your attention, anything that maybe has made you lose sleep, or you, you just you find it, it's right there in front of you? If you start with your circumstance and then try to go to God, you're going to have a hard time getting to God. But if you will start with God rejoicing in who He is, praying and giving thanks in all things, then that will put your circumstances into a whole new perspective. Folks, that is from the Word of God. That's sound theology. Amen. I'll close with this. Anybody remember uh, Charles Schultz, the Peanuts cartoon? One of my favorites. He was, by the way, he was a theologian. Yeah, a little bit off, but he had, he had some cartoons that were really, really good. One of my favorites, maybe you remember this, four panels, first panel, Linus and Lucy are looking out the window, you're looking in and they're inside the house and it is raining cats and dogs. And Lucy says, boy, look at that rain. What if it floods the whole world. Linus says, you just got to see the cartoon because he's just kind of matter of fact, it will never do that. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, 
God promised Noah that it would never happen again. And the sign of that promise is the rainbow. Lucy looks at Linus and says, you've taken a great load off my mind. And he said, sound theology has a way of doing that. What is God's will for you and the church? I, I said this a minute ago. I, I was imagining, it, and I think to some degree that, that people do. They look at heritage, and if they know anything her about heritage at all, uh, again, programs and all the rest of the ministries that we do are great. But what if the world around us knew that we were a rejoicing church and a praying church and a church that gives Thanks to God in all circumstances. You can't do that without being a Christian, being born again. And so if you're here today and you've heard this, yeah, I, that, that sounds right. It could be that the Holy Spirit is dealing with you, revealing to you that you're a sinner before a holy God. You can't save yourself only believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ who came as God's Son to die on the cross, to be buried, to be raised again on the third day. And believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that way you can start on this road of learning not only how to minister, but also how to rejoice and pray and give thanks. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the uh, commands that we have, and I pray for us. That includes me, Lord, especially me. I, Lord, I, I don't want to be guilty of a terrible testimony of being glib, taking lightly the sorrow of others. But Lord, I don't want to be guilty of the testimony of being glum, of just looking like I'm always in a bad mood. What an incredibly terrible testimony. So help us, help me and help all of us to be appropriately rejoicing even in the midst of sorrow, to be praying without ceasing over all of the things that come our way, and that in all circumstances we will give thanks. We praise you, we rejoice in you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.